Well, can I encourage you please to take a Bible? If you've brought one with you, that's great. And if not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And I'd like you to turn to two parts of the Bible this morning. The first one is Psalm 42. And that's on page 567 if you're using one of the church Bibles. And the second place I'd like you to turn is in the New Testament. And it's Romans chapter 8. And you'll find it on page 1135. Our regular practice in Ravenhill is to go through a book of the Bible, and I feel a bit strange because at the minute in the morning and the evening, we're not actually going through any books of the Bible. Instead, we're in a topical series. And this morning, we're looking at enjoying God. We've been looking at it for a past number of weeks. And this morning, we're looking at enjoying God when life is hard. How do we enjoy God whenever it feels like life is falling apart? And so I won't be sticking necessarily to to these passages, but they relate, and hopefully you'll see the relation as we go on and hear from God's word, from different parts of God's word this morning. So let me read to you Psalm 42, remembering that this is God's word. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then I'd like you to turn over to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read from verse 18 in Romans chapter 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing in, Paul has known suffering. He's been through very hard times and he writes this. I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pray and then let's consider how we can enjoy God whenever times are hard. Let's pray. All-knowing Father, you are the only one who knows what's going on in our lives just now. You're the only one who really understands the hardship that we're facing. And so, Lord, we would ask just now that as we hear from your word, that you would speak to us a word in season. We ask that we would hear your voice very clearly speaking to us this morning, bringing us comfort in our sorrow and in our pain. And Father, for those of us who are not going through difficult times just now, would you speak to us and equip us this morning for when we do? Speak to us, we pray, through your word just now and by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. There are moments in life whenever we experience great joy, aren't there? Times whenever everything is going well, times whenever we are laughing and smiling, times that are wonderful. I wonder for you when the last time was that you experienced great, wonderful joy. For some of you, probably wasn't that long ago. For some of you, it might be years ago. There are times in life whenever we experience wonderful, fantastic, awesome joy. But then there are other times in life, very often seasons. Often these times are not short. They're often prolonged. And in these seasons, we experience real and deep sorrow, real and deep sadness. Our circumstances change. Something terrible happens. And we are catapulted into this dark and sorrowful place. And sometimes in life, as we live out our every days, it can actually be a bit like living on some sort of strange scale. Because as we go through day by day, sometimes we can feel joy, sometimes we can feel sorrow, sometimes we can live in the in-between. But my guess is that for many of us here this morning, my guess is actually maybe even for most of us here this morning, we live life at the end of the scale that's closer to sorrow than joy. My guess is that for many of you, as you live out your life and you face the frustrations, maybe the frustration of illness and sickness, maybe the frustration of things not going how you planned, you live more towards the sorrow end of things than the joy end of things. Maybe for you, the circumstances of your life just now, maybe you have a loved one who is sick or maybe you've experienced loss or maybe things are just not going how you wanted. 
And although there are moments where you're a bit more towards the joy end, a lot of the time you're closer to the sorrow end of things. This morning as you sit here, I I wonder where you would put yourself on the scale. Have a look at it just now. Where would you put yourself? Well, this morning, the people that I primarily want to talk to are those of you who are on the scale closer to the sorrow end. If you're at the joy end, we're thrilled for you. But this morning, my primary audience is those of you who are living closer to the sorrow end of things. And the first thing I really just want to say this morning is that it's okay. It's okay to be living your life closer to the sorrow end of things than the joy end of things. That might seem like a very strange thing for me to say. It's okay. Why why are you saying that, Marty? Well, the reason I'm saying that is because sometimes as Christians, I think that we think that we have to be these happy people all the time. Sometimes I worry as Christians, we feel like we need to go through life putting on this wonderful smile and pretending everything's okay. But that is not true. That is just a lie that somehow we've caught on to. Did you hear the psalmist writing in Psalm 42? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And And he tried to bring himself up. Put your hope in God. But even at the end of the psalm, he's still living on the sorrow end of the scale. I want to say this morning that if you're a Christian, you don't need to pretend that everything's okay and life's wonderful and and yet you're living on the joyful end. It's okay to live most of life on the sorrowful end of things. There was someone else who lived his life often at that end of the scale too. Who was that? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the one who saved us. Isaiah 53, pointing forward to when the Messiah comes, said that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as you read the Gospels, you can't help but see it in his life. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. There was real deep sorrow. He wept as he looked over Jerusalem, thinking of the people who should have accepted him and instead rejected him. He wept over them being lost. In the garden of Gethsemane, his soul was in anguish. I have no doubt that if I met Jesus, there would have been times whenever he was full of joy and delight and happiness. I imagine his face beaming with laughter at times. But don't be under any illusion. He was not walking around as a happy, clappy man. He wasn't laughing when they nailed him to the cross for our sin. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It is not a sin to feel sorrow. It's not a sin to be sad. It's not a sin to be depressed. It's not a sin to live your life on the sorrow end of the scale. And I need you to know that this morning because I don't want you feeling a false sense of guilt. There is no guilt in feeling sorrow and sadness and living at that end of the scale because life is painful and life is hard and we do suffer and it's real and God does not ask us to pretend otherwise. There's a 
far up the road, and it's called The Longfellow, and I don't know who it's named after, but there's a, an American poet called Henry Wandsworth Longfellow, and he says this, every man has a secret sorrows which the world knows not, and oftentimes we call a man cold when he is only sad. Is this not true? We all live with sorrows. We all live with these unknown things. And what I want you to do this morning, what I'm hoping to do this morning, and I might not get it right and and it might not work, but what I really want to hope and try to do this morning is to help you see how you might be able to enjoy God even in the midst of sorrow. This morning, I want to help you see how you might be able to enjoy something of God even when life is falling apart and it's hard and it's horrible and you're sad and you're down. That is my hope this morning. To give you some tools, to give you something that can help you enjoy God when sorrow comes. And this morning, what I'm going to suggest is that there are four things that we might be able to enjoy from God in the midst of our suffering. And the first one is this. My hope is that in every trial, we can enjoy God's purposes. A philosopher called Simone Weil says this, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use of it. And what she's saying there is what amazes her about Christianity is that very often Christians are not trying to get out of the suffering they're in. But instead they look at suffering and they ask themselves the question, what is God doing here? What is God doing in the midst of this suffering? And what we see in the Bible is that God does have purposes in suffering. And one of the clearest purposes we see is in James chapter one. Have a look at the text with me. James writes this. He says, count it all joy. Now that's a strange thing, joy? Okay, we're thinking about enjoying God. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, do you see what James says that bad circumstances, hard times can be? He says that they can be a trial in the hands of God. James says that there can be a purpose in your suffering, and that purpose can be like a trial or a test, something that's going to help you grow, something that's going to teach you something, something that you can learn from. Suffering can be in the hands of God something that develops us and helps us to learn and grow as people and as Christians. And this morning, I think that if we can grasp this truth, that we can find some sort of joy in our suffering and in our trials. If we can grasp that in the middle of all the hardship we're facing, that God might have a purpose to bring about our good and our growth, I think that can help us to enjoy him in the midst of it. What are you facing this morning? What are you facing this morning? What are the hardships you're growing through? I wonder, can these be used by God 
to teach you something? I wonder, can these be used by God to help you grow as a follower of Christ? I think they can. I think they can, and my hope is that if you can grasp that, it can bring you some sense of joy. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Don't don't get the wrong end of the stick here this morning. God is not causing the hardship in your life simply to test you and, and, and to help you grow. He's not causing it for that purpose. We live in a broken world where these things happen, but the great thing about God is that in the middle of this happening to you, he can bring good out of it. He can bring you to a deeper faith in him. He can shape you and develop you and grow you through it. This morning, maybe we can enjoy God in the middle of our suffering if he can grasp that he uses it for our good to make us more like Christ. Here's a random question. I wonder, have any of you ever seen a giraffe being born? Anyone? No? Well, what's really interesting about a giraffe being born is that the mother giraffe, she doesn't sit down to give birth. And if you think about how tall she is, that is quite a height, isn't it, for a little baby giraffe to drop? But the mother stands up and the mother gives birth and the giraffe thumps down onto the ground and it lies on its back. And then do you know what the mother giraffe does next? She gives it a bit of a kick. Seems so horrible, so harsh. She gives it a kick and she keeps sort of prodding it with her foot until the baby giraffe stands up and it stands up on its new legs. And then do you know what the mother giraffe does next? She kicks the poor thing over again. And you've got the baby giraffe on its back again and again. Then the mother giraffe kind of gives it a nudge and then the giraffe gets up. And the the mother giraffe, she does this over and over and over again until the baby giraffe can get up very quickly and move. Why? Because in the wild there are predators and a baby giraffe needs to be able to get up quick. That baby giraffe, it's hard for it. It's unpleasant for it. It doesn't really understand what's going on. But through that trial, the mother giraffe is training the baby giraffe in a very important skill. And in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our hardships, in the middle of our pain, we may not see it, but if we believe what the Bible says is true, then we can be assured that through it, the Lord will teach us and train us and help us to grow. Very often whenever I'm going through something horrible, the question I ask God is this, why are you letting this happen? As I face hard things, that is the instinctive question. Why, God, why are you letting this happen to me? What have I done? Why am I having to face this? I guess I'm not alone there. I've never really got an answer to that question. God doesn't speak to me, you know, even though I'm a minister and tell me this is why, Marty, let me explain it to you. He doesn't do that. But what I've come to realize is that very often I'm actually asking the wrong question. And I've learned the question I maybe should be asking if I'm going to find joy in the circumstances. And that question that, that might give me joy is this, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? What do you want me to learn through this? How do you want me to grow through this? 
What do you want me to learn about myself? What do you want me to learn about those around me? What do you want me to learn about the world I live in? What do you want me to learn about you, Lord? Teach me. Help me to learn whatever it is you want to teach me. I wonder if you asked that question in the middle of your suffering, would it help you just a tad, just a little, to enjoy God in the middle of it? This morning I know there are some of you here and you're facing things and you just cannot see any purpose in it at all. Maybe you've asked that question, Lord, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to learn? And the answer is silence. There's no response. Well, maybe the answer to that question this morning is that the Lord simply wants you to learn to trust him. To trust him in the silence. To trust him with your questions. To trust him with the outcome. This morning, maybe he's calling you to live by faith and not by sight and simply to trust him in the middle of all of the stuff you're going through. There is another way though I think we can enjoy God in the middle of our hardships. And the way we think we can enjoy him is with his presence. I think that in every sorrow, we can enjoy God's presence. The Psalms are a wonderful poetry book right in the middle of the Bible. And they're filled with poems that express every human emotion under the sun. And they're very often written by people who are going through the most difficult of times. If you need a source of help, I would encourage you to go to the Psalms and and just open at them and look through them and find some Psalms where the Lord speaks to you. But there is a wonderful Psalm, Psalm 34. And in the middle of it, the Psalmist says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Very often, I think we want God to take us out of our hardship, don't we? We like him to be like one of those kind of claw machines at the arcade that would kind of just go down and and lift us out of our suffering and, and put us over in a good place. That's what we want. But that's not what God says he will do. He doesn't say that he will lift us out of our suffering, but he does promise that he will be with us in the middle of it. Right in the thick of it, God's presence, he says, will be with us. This morning, I want to encourage you that if you're suffering, if you're going through a hard time, if you're facing trials and difficulties, what I want to encourage you this morning is that if you're one of God's people, he's with you. Did you read it in the psalm? The psalmist says what we read earlier, why have you forgotten me, God? He felt forgotten. He felt like God had abandoned him, but God had not. God was with him. And this morning, I just want to reaffirm that no matter how you feel, you might feel forgotten by God. You might feel like he's far away, but he's not. He's close to the brokenhearted. And I want to encourage you this morning to to turn to him and to talk to him, to pour out your soul to him, to tell him how you feel, to ask him for the help you need. God has not forgotten you. God's aware of what's going on and he's with you and he invites you to pour out your soul to him. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, okay, Marty, I hear what you're saying, but God is not saying very much in the middle of my suffering. He's not really saying anything that 
that is helping. In fact, God seems pretty silent just now. Well, I think there is a reason for that. And I think the reason is because sometimes when we suffer, even what God says, even his word, it doesn't really help us. It doesn't bring us the comfort that we need sometimes. But someone who listens, someone who sits and is with us, they often bring us more comfort than someone who speaks. There was a man called Joe Bailey, and he was a Baptist pastor. He was born in the 1920, and he died in the 1970s. And he writes a book about death. And he writes a book that, that encourages people on how to, to deal with death and how to talk about death and how to comfort those who are grieving. And he writes the book from a very personal point of view. Uh, Joe, Joe had three sons die. The first son died at 18 months after surgery. The second boy died aged five because of leukemia and the third son died at 18 years old after an accident. This was a man who'd been through grief. And in his book, he, he talked about two men who came to see him. And let me just write, let me just read what he wrote. He says this in his book, the last thing we talk about. He says this, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except I wished he'd go away. And he finally did. And then he says this, another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour and more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved, I was comforted, I hated to see him go. Folks, this morning as you suffer, maybe the reason why God isn't saying something to you is because his words right now would really have little effect to help you. But be assured he is there and he wants to listen and he wants to bring comfort by the power of his spirit. I encourage you this morning, don't think he's forgotten you. He hasn't. He's present. And I encourage you to take some time and to talk to him and to turn to him. A third then way that I think, and the last two points are shorter than the first two, so don't panic, but, but a third way then that we can enjoy God in the middle of suffering is this. In every hardship, we can enjoy God's help. And I put a little bracket there, often through his people. It's amazing in the Bible because what we see is that God is a God who does actually help people when they suffer. He might not lift them out of it like that claw machine, but he does help people when they suffer. Again, we see it in the Psalms, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There are times whenever God, in almost supernatural ways, brings us help that we could never have dreamed of. And as you sit here this morning, as God's people, I know that we could have countless stories of those times. Times maybe whenever you couldn't pay the bills and you couldn't feed your family and the Lord out of nowhere provided financial help. 
Times whenever you were in a foreign place and you needed help and you'd know where to turn and the Lord sent someone to help you. I know that if we went round this congregation this morning, we would have wonderful stories about how God just supernaturally helps his people when they suffer. And I want to encourage you, yes, to, to pray for that and to ask God to help you and to believe he will because he can. But the big thing I want you to realize this morning is that I believe that the main way that God helps his people when they suffer is through other people. The church, we are called the, the body of Christ. The hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus, that is what we are as God's people. And I'm convinced that the, the, the most clearest way and the most, the, the most normal way that God helps people in their suffering is to use other people to help. In Galatians 6, it, it, it says to this, and this is a command given to the church, to believers. It says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. I love that imagery, carry each other's burdens. Imagine you, you're, you're in the church and you see someone walking down this aisle here and they're overladen. They've got this big backpack on and they've got two big bags and they're, they're, they're struggling their way down carry one another's burdens. What does that mean? It means that one of you gets over to the right hand and you take the bag off their right hand and one of you gets over to their left hand and you take the bag off their left hand and then one of you gets up behind them and you kind of hoik the big backpack up. You're helping with their burdens. You're, you're helping them carry the load. You're helping them to get through to the end of the aisle. God is one who helps people through his people and this morning what I really want to encourage you to do if you're suffering if you're going through a hard time is to stop keeping it a secret we live in a world which says that we have to be autonomous and carry our own burdens we need to be independent we need to be able to deal with everything life throws at us by ourselves or else we're a failure. That's what the world says. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says. He says we are interdependent creatures supposed to rely on one another. This morning I want to encourage you, if you're struggling, if you're going through a hard time, stop keeping it a secret and stop trying to deal with it by yourself. Share it with someone. Share it with someone you trust. Share it with me if you want to. Share it with someone who can pray for you and help you and get you help. I read a very challenging quote this week. It says this, the waters of comfort cannot run up the hills of pride. They fall down into the valleys of humility. Let me say that again. The waters of comfort cannot run up the hills of pride they fall down into the valleys of humility. If we're too proud, too proud to seek God for help, too proud to ask for help from others, then why do we expect to receive comfort and help? But if we can have humility, the humility to ask, then the waters of comfort can flow through God and through his people. I think there is help to be had this morning if you're struggling. 
There's help to have if you're going through a hard time. There is help available. Help from the Lord and help from your church. If you will just reach out and ask. And the final way I think we can enjoy God in the middle of all of the mess of life and all of the difficulties is that in every pain we can enjoy the promise of the future. We can enjoy God's promise of the future. Did you hear what Paul said? I consider that our present suffering, so listen, see all the stuff you're going through, all the hardship, all the heartache, all the pain, all those things that you wish you weren't facing. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. What Paul is doing here, he's, he's, he's looking to a future day, a day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, a day whenever every evil and every sin is defeated, a day when all of the things that make this world sad and unbearable and difficult are stripped away. He's looking to the future of Christ's return. And he says, I know you're suffering and I know it's hard, but here's what I want you to know. It's not worth comparing to the glory that's coming and will be yours forever. In the evenings at the minute, we're looking at the, the big story of the Bible. We started in creation in, in Eden where everything was perfect. And then we see it's all messed up after the fall. But what we see and what we're going to see in the last week is we're going to come to the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, we see how the story of this world ends and it ends with a beautiful picture. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be in their God. And then this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and there shall be no mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In the middle of all of the rubbish you're facing, in the middle of all of the pain, what I want to encourage you to do, to, to try to enjoy God in some ways, is to look ahead And be grateful and thankful and joyous that one day, whatever it is that's causing your pain will be no more. As you face that sickness, which is really taking it out of you, look ahead and know that one day there will be no more sickness and no more sickness for you for eternity. As you grieve the loss of that loved one and it hurts every day as you miss them, Look ahead and know you'll be with them again and death will be no more. With eyes of faith, I wonder, can you look ahead and see the glorious future that God has for you and for this world? Because I believe that if you can, there will be some joy in the middle of your suffering. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes himself in this way. He describes himself as being sorrowful 
yet always rejoicing. He puts sorrow and joy together and it's weird. How does he do that? How can he, how can he put sorrow and joy together? It's weird for us even to get our heads around. But he does. Because in the middle of the sorrows that he was facing, he could find a glimmer of enjoyment in God in the middle of it. And my hope and my prayer for you is that as you remember these things and as you take them on board, that that in the middle of your suffering, you might just maybe be able to find a glimmer of joy and hope in the middle of it all. I'm not talking about dancing around all happy. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about getting on like a happy, clappy Christian. Yeah, everything's wonderful when it's not. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is that in the middle of your tears and the middle of your pain, that at a deep level, there's something joyful because of what God is doing. Let me finish by reading you a poem. And I imagine Paul would affirm this. I will take joy in my sadness. I will make praise in my complaint. I will walk tall as I stumble, stand firm even as I faint. I see death rise around me. Sickness renews its attack. But while you remain my savior, there's nothing that I lack. You're the light in my cold darkness. You're the song in my despair. You're the peace in this chaos. You're the answer to my prayer. So I'll confess my allegiance. I will shout your name with pride. I will take joy in my salvation and climb with you, my guide. My friends, in the middle of your suffering, my hope is that you'll be able to find some joy in the God who loves you. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you would uh, take these weak words that I have preached and that you would preach a sermon to people's hearts. Pray, Lord, that if there's something in particular that you want to lay upon a person, that by your Spirit you will. And I pray that your word would bear fruit this morning as to how you wanted to bear fruit. Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's suffering, that they would have a freedom and feel a freedom to reach out for help. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who doesn't know you as their God, that they would know that they can come to you because Jesus has made a way. Father, help us to trust you in the middle of our suffering and may each of us just have a little tiny glimmer of joy in all that we're facing. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe your promises. Help us to believe your word. Help us to know you close. Help us to keep pressing on in the walk that you've set out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.